as I was thinking, we've just entered what, me, what many people call the season of gratitude. And as many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, gather to be thankful for what they have. They reminisce on what the year that they've had, especially 2020, 2021, they've been tough years. And people gather together, and now they start thinking what they have. But as I was thinking about this, I wanted a biblical perspective on what gratitude is. What is gratitude? What is thankfulness? I mean, it is an, a reoccurring theme in Scripture, and therefore it, it is important. Psalms 50 verses 23 says, God speaking to us, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. It's important. Or how about Psalm 92 verse 1 says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. If it's good to give thanks, therefore we must have a grateful heart. It was Paul himself who wrote a letter to the Romans in chapter 1, and he said, this of our forefathers, although they knew God, they did what? They did not thank him for it. Therefore, God gave him up to a depraved mind. So thanksgiving, salvation, go hand to hand. If you are saved, therefore you are thankful, and you are grateful. There's no if or buts about it. This is who you are. And to do this, I want to open up our our Bibles to Psalms 100. This is a very short but yet so powerful psalm. It is the only psalm that has been titled a psalm for giving thanks or a psalm for thanksgiving. So that's the theme of the psalm. So let us go ahead and read and then I'll pray. And uh, we'll get into the meat of it. How about that? Psalms 100, the word says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you that we are ready to hear your word. Lord, it is your word we want to listen. We want to hear from you. Lord, it's not about the messenger, it is about the message. It is about the gospel. Lord, do not allow us to walk out of here today without hearing the gospel message. Lord, we need to be reminded constantly, Lord, of how feeble, how fallible we are, and that we have a great God, a good God, a faithful God, and therefore we are grateful. We are thankful for you, Lord. Allow us not to just be grateful in this season, Lord, but also... May that carry over for generations until you come and we get to worship you forever. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name that we pray. So I've titled this sermon, The Characteristics of a Grateful Heart. Today I'm going to touch on three 
he points, number one, we will see that a grateful heart worships and serves gladly. Second, a grateful heart seeks a deeper knowledge of God. And thirdly, a grateful heart brings to remembrance what God has done and will continue to do. In verse 1 and 2, the psalmist is inviting us to worship. That's very basic in Christian Christianity. We are to worship. We are worshipers. But the psalmist is calling us to make a joyful noise, a happy worship. Not a doom and gloom demeanor. No, we are asked to worship God happily. It was the great theologian Charles Spurgeon who said, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence, in God's presence, there is full joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a happy God. This is not the white-haired uh, judge that is waiting to smack everybody. No, no, this, this is a happy God. And we are sometimes, we're forgetful. We come to Sundays, and we cross our arms, and we don't sing, we don't worship the way we ought to. We forget that the creator of the universe, who's created this marble, marvelous world full of wonder, and we think that he's a dull, boring God. No, he's not. He's a happy God. We ought to worship him as such. It is, I believe, Christendom's fault. It's taught us two extreme ways of worship. One, in one hand, we have a school of thought that says that worship ought to be solemn, traditional, ceremonial, and ritualistic. Sorry for that. That there is no external expressions, no room for external expressions, emotions, and passion in worship. On the other hand, we have what we thought, where we taught that outward expression is the only form of true worship, based on a hypersensational feeling, not in accordance with what the scripture subscribes. Two extremes. We believe that by having our hands down, being solemn, that we are pious. And we are more godly. What the scripture subscribes is the opposite. We ought to be happy. We ought to worship. And we have to have expressions and emotions. But based on what the, the scripture teaches us. We ought to do that. Our Lord demands that from us. He's a happy God. Remember what he's done for us. He saved us. From darkness to light. We ought to be happy people. Thank you for that, Bob. <laughs> so, the verse, first one says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This is a believer that is excited and encourages others to join in in worship. Beloved, we don't worship God happily because we lose the point. 
It is not about what we have or don't have. The focal point of worship for the psalmist is not his own desires, well-being. No, it's about God himself and who he is. And we ought to be reminded of who he is so that we may come every Sunday and worship happily. I'll give you a practical exercise. It's worked for me. I used to, Sundays, wake up, maybe turn on the TV, news. That doesn't cut it. See, the psalmist is telling us that we ought to come to him praising already. Coming to Sunday mornings, praising him. Why? Because that prepares our heart for worship. Do nothing else than pray. Be in his word in the morning. Have worship music. Prepare your heart for worship. Beloved, we, let, we, we lose the sense of what worship really is. What we do here Sunday mornings is just preparation for what we do in eternal. The, when his kingdom comes. Yesterday I went to a concert with my wife and some friends. This well-renowned uh, musician. If I give you the name, most likely you guys will know who he is. But, you know, that wasn't his voice. I knew that he was already amazing. You know, he was a great voice. But it was something that uh, very peculiar. Before he actually came on stage, we saw the orchestra, the symphony behind him. And all of a sudden, they're all tuning their instruments. And I asked my wife, because she's a musician, and she wants, she make, you know, she make, uh, l- let me know that what they're doing is getting ready in one tune or one um, key. They want to be in accordance with each other. And then something happens. The um, conductor comes in, people start cheering, and then the most beautiful sound happens. That is what we do Sunday mornings. We are now tuning ourselves. We are now coming together, prepping for that great day of the Lord, and we ought to be happy. We ought to remember that one day we're going to see Him face to face. That one day. We no longer have these bodies that will detract us from worshiping happily. Now, worship is not only an act that that happens with our lips. It's not. Worship is not a passive nor an spectator sport. It is fundamentally active. Our worship also leads into service. The psalmist is saying we ought to serve the Lord, but to do it gladly. But how do we do that, Darren? How do we do that? Biblically speaking, the attitude of gratitude always follows with an action of obedience and service. That's it. There's no if or buts about it. Our Lord has granted each and every one of you gifts, but now for yourself. Not to become great, but to put it for the service of others. That is it. We serve gladly when we see a vertical sense of what service is. We look beyond. We look beyond that service is not for us. It's for generations to come. Also, service, you know, when we look at, we hear service, we think that it's immediately, we hear, we think of ministry. Yes, ministry is important, it's part of how we do service, but service is a way of life. For the Christian, it's a way of life. 
It is in the mundane little moments that you are actually servicing God. It's in the way we treat our spouses. It's the way we love our children. It's the way we are obedient to our bosses. That is service unto the Lord. And we ought to do it gladly. For mothers, I'll give you one. Charles Spurgeon says this. You are much serving God. Listen up, ladies. In looking after your own children and training them up in God's fear and mining the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. It's that simple. God calls you to be obedient in your circumstances, in your seasons. It is impossible for a believer to great to be grateful and not put their gifts in servitude. Our gifts are best put into practice when we serve the body of Christ. Ministry is that platform. We can do it most effectively. Now I'm going to bring it back to ministry. Sometimes we, those who are in ministry, work hard. In time, we become weary, tired. It was Paul who reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, 58. But thanks, again, thanks, that's the word, thanks, be to God who gives us the victory. He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that's the word knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord, your labor is not in what? In vain. Your work, your service has eternal repercussions. But sometimes we stay in the eternal. We stay in the now. You want to serve gladly? Think ahead. Think uh, vertical, not horizontal. Don't stay in the linear. Don't stay in the now. Think ahead. Think of your children. Generations and generations that God will be faithful, but you are partakers, your co-laborers. Serve gladly because it matters. There is no other work, there's no other job, there's no other service in the world that has more impact than the service and work that we do here. Ministry, loving one another, caring for one another. It's as simple as saying hi to a stranger that comes to those doors. It's impactful. You have no idea what that does sometimes. And we think it's just, uh, just let me say hi, or I don't want to deal with it. No, it, it has an impact, beloved. We just don't know it. So, I will encourage you also to, to look within yourselves. You'll see other brothers and sisters carrying many roles and tasks. Ask yourself, you also have gifts. Why you, sometimes do we sit down in the bench? We're not bench warmers. We're not called to be bench warmers. Come on, stand up. There is purpose for what we do. That was exactly what the psalmist wants us to know. There is purpose for serving gladly. And now you might say, well, Davon, the psalmist might have, might, might have had it all figured out. He, you know, he had it all. Might have been David, a king. He had servers. He had people that took care of him. Maybe he wasn't a business owner. He was rich. But that's not what the psalmist is saying here. Deeply, almost hidden within the text, in verse 1, 
if you go to the original languages, when he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, this is a militant call. It gives us an imagery of an army that is coming victorious back from battle. And we think, well, they're victorious. Yeah, but they were wounded, battered. You know, they just endured the heat of war. They may be carrying one another, and they're singing back because they're going back to their kingdom. They're going back, most importantly, to their king. It is in their king that they find refuge, that they find comfort, that they find healing. It is him. Serve gladly, because we don't serve ourselves. We serve ultimately God himself. And he deserves our adoration, our worship, and service. Does he not? He does. He does. Now, this leads me to my second point this morning. A grateful heart seeks a deeper knowledge of God. Look at, let's look at verse 3. The psalmist starts with the word. It says, no. Keyword, no. Know that the Lord he is God. Just on that basis alone, we ought to worship Him. He is God. He's creator of the heavens and the earth. He's your creator, and we owe Him thanks for our own, very own being. That should just bring us back into worship in gladness and happiness. But there's more. A lack of biblical knowledge of God will always lead us to a complaining heart. This is why it matters to know who God is. And the psalmist is encouraging us to go deep in Scripture to get to know our God. A true knowledge of Him will lead us to be thankful and grateful because a true knowledge of Him also points back a true knowledge of us. We are fallible, we're weak, we bring nothing to the table, like Freddie was saying this morning. We bring nothing. He brings everything. And knowing that gives us a grateful heart. You know, when we complain, we do sin against God. We're telling God that He's not enough. We complain, we're telling God that what He gives us is not enough. Yeah, we know you're a provider, but I want more. This is not what I wanted, Lord. You know, I wanted a Ferrari. You gave me a, a Camry. No, that's not, that's not the point. The point is that he is provider, that we are his, that we are his sheep, the verse says. We ought to be thankful because the creator of the universe is our God and therefore in control of everything. Colossians 1.16, Paul tells us that Jesus, our God, is fully in control. For by him, all things were created, all, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created for him and by him. There's nothing, and I repeat, there's nothing our Lord has no control over. He has control over anything, even the smallest molecule in the universe. And then, what makes us, think, makes us think that we ought to complain about what we have, don't have? 
when he is himself is our shepherd. He says it in verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Beloved, in a world full of goats, we are his sheep. And that is an amazing thought. As Paul puts it in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his richness in, in, his rich, just in glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply. Sometimes it's not what we want, but what's best for us. Beloved, we serve a God that upholds the universe with his word. How crazy is that? When he was there in the cross, who was holding the universe? It was him who was holding it. It was him. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That is majestic. We ought to be reminded of these truths. This truth will, be, will allow us to be thankful, grateful, not just for this season, but for seasons to come. This will keep us engaged, humble to the fact that we have a big God and we are low ourselves. Beloved, do not create a habit of discontent and complaint. We have a mighty God that cares for us even in our moments of needs. He is our God and we are His. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. No one take us from His hands. I promised my wife I wasn't going to say this, but once ha- one ha- she looks at me like, once Christ has you hold, like held down in his, in his hands, He holds us tighter than a Ziploc bag. And she said, that's corny, don't say that. So I had to say it. Sorry, I'll hear, I'll hear from her later. <laughs> even, in our, even in our trials, we need to remember what the Word tells us. And we know that for those who love God, some things, now all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. Romans 8.28 All things, not some things. That's why we ought to be grateful. Because even amidst our trials and tribulations, and they will come, can be thankful. A true knowledge of Christ will allow us to be more effective in the kingdom. But we ought to be in Scripture. I encourage you. One of the, uh, one of the best, uh, um, I guess I would say, previous pastor of mine said that the best you could do out of all the spiritual disciplines, never let go the reading of Scripture, ever. This is the one that will keep you rooted in Christ. It is the word that will take us to our sin. It will make us to, it will make us repent of it and lead us back to Christ. So it's important. That's what the psalmist is saying. Know something about our God. Know something. And where do we know? It's here. We easily neglect this book. I see Christians today. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. And 
Trinity. What's the Trinity? Just in that alone. How many people get that wrong? Basic fundamental knowledge that we ought to know. Our God is triune. Sometimes we don't get that. We miss the point. Look what Paul, Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, take a look very carefully. It doesn't say that you ought to be thankful for everything, but in everything. It doesn't mean that you ought to be thankful for your sickness or for a marriage that is going in turmoil. That's not what it's saying, beloved. But to be thankful in all circumstances. Knowing that he's working out something greater for you. He is a good God. We ought to worship him, service him, gladly. But all it comes down to what you know about God. A high view on God is a high view on worship and service. I love the prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, he uh, had a wonderful prayer. Seems like the people of Israel at that point were going through, through a lot. It wasn't the best circumstances for him. And in, in Habakkuk, chapter 3, 17 to 19, he says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the, yield, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there, be, there may be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And why will he re- rejoice? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on my high on, on high, my high places. That's a high view of God. I pray that we come to that view, high view of God. I pray that each and every one of us hear not what a television evangelist says. No, hear, hear. We all have the same book. This book teaches us who God is. And there we may exalt him, praise him accordingly. My final point. I think, I don't know. How am I doing? All right. Good? All right. All right. This, I'll, I'll keep this one short and sweet. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the gospel. Some, you know, something that I've, I've found out of Christianity is that there's, it's very repetitious. Very rep- there's repetitious or repetitive thoughts. And in verse 4 and 5, once again, the psalmist wants you to be thankful, and we're going to find out of what, for what. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. And here is the why. Here is the why we ought to. For the Lord, he is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That sounds to me like the gospel. He wants us to be reminded of the gospel constantly in our lives. 
See, the gospel not only saves us, but sustains us. Every day we ought to repeat the gospel to ourselves. I think it was Paul Tripp who said that the person that talks to you the most is yourself. I don't know if I'm wrong on that one, but, but it is true, isn't it? But sometimes we feed ourselves lies. That's why we're discontent. I'm ungrateful. And not only that, we believe the lies that the world throws at us and that the enemy throws at us. So that's why truth matters. We have to be steadfast, immovable in the faith. And that is what the gospel does for us. It keeps us remembering what God has done and will continue to do. Not only for me, for you, but future generations. Think about that. The power that that that, that brings. Jesus is faithful. And his promises are always yes and amen. There's no promise that he won't say no. Once he's promised something, it's yes and amen. When he says that you are his, you're sealed. That is it. You can walk in a manner of worship because what he's doing in our lives and what he's done, we are secure in his hands. There is nothing, no power from hell, and no thrones, no dominions. There's nothing that may deter what God has done for us and how he loves us. And that's deep. The gospel keeps, will keep our hearts grounded and humble to the reality of who we are and who Christ is. The gospel softens our hearts and keeps us in a state of thankfulness for what he's done. Beloved, I ask you, do you keep the gospel fresh in your lives daily? Exercise that, if you haven't. That will lead you away from a heart of discontent and ungratefulness. As Paul would best put it in Ephesians 2, 1, 5, this is the gospel. And remind yourself of this every day. And you, me, were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked. But God, and say, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together again with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is the gospel. Wow. This is the epitome of his faithfulness that he promised long ago that he would save and keep a remnant. You are his remnant. To do so, he showed the deepest love of all that God sent his son, the Logos, To be humiliated for our sake. Forsaken by the Father. Became one of us. Fallible, lowly creatures. This is what we must remember. What Christ has done for us and will continue to do. That is the gospel. And I'll finish with this. Now Paul will have us remember this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 4. Now, I would remind you, again, remembrance, repetition, 
has to be constant, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast, again, hold fast to it, repetitious, remember, to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins. In accordance with Scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. That is the gospel. I don't know who's sitting here. I don't know who's watching us online. I don't know if you don't know, know the Lord. If you don't, time for salvation is now. It is now He is calling you. And that is His goodness and that is His faithfulness that He's constantly calling. He's in the business of calling people from death, death to, to, to light. That is His business. He's in the business of saving people. Hear the message. And there's no wonder why Paul will remind him of the gospel because in remembering the gospel, we change our negative moods of complaining and ungratefulness. We must remember that God is faithful. My hope, beloved, is that we were able to look deep into our hearts. Maybe you're being ungrateful today, or it may, be, it may come a day that you may be inclined to be ungrateful. Maybe the oppression of sin or circumstances are so great that we would want to, be, to give in to our selfish desires. But it is in the good and faithful work of Jesus Christ where we find refreshing. That we are transformed. That now our hearts are inclined to be grateful forevermore. Because we look into generations ahead of us. We don't look to the now. Know that he will rescue us. That he will come back for us. He said that. He said it in his word and I take that to the bank. And I work in one. With that said, let us pray. And I hope that that was uh, refreshing to you guys. As as much as it was to me. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you. We honor you. Though fallible creatures, small, minute, in a world so large, make you've created you out of us. Who is man to stand before you? Lord, change our hearts. If we're sinning in a way that displeases you with ungrateful hearts, Lord, I pray that you remind us of the gospel. That it is in Christ that we have victory, not within ourselves or our circumstances. Seasons may come, seasons change, but you never change. We need you more than ever. Allow us your grace. Allow us, if someone here is unrepentant of sin, allow them grace to turn back, turn back. And as we sing one last song, Lord, Lord, allow us to worship happily, knowing these truths.
It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.